morning, everybody. We're all a long way away, away. I can see you still don't like these, these um, chairs at the front. We, we may be changing that over the summer. A very warm welcome to you all, and a very warm welcome to those of you joining us online this morning, either in real time or catching up on the uh, internet later on. You're very welcome. And may the Lord bless us all with his presence this morning. Today is a service of Holy Communion, which will surprise none of you. We're starting a new sermon series today. Um, we're, we're working our way through uh, 1 Peter, and Peter is going to start um, preaching on this later on. We've got a fantastic passage, which Audrey will read for us, so full of praise and of goodness, uh, good things that um, all we need to do is pray for Peter that he knows the, the bits to concentrate on this morning. Um, 10.45 today is the all-age service. Seven o'clock tonight is our monthly one prayer meeting where we meet to pray for the, for the village, pray for outreach. This is important. Uh, um, do come if you have the time. It would be lovely to see you. We, spend, um, we limit it to an hour. We spend some time worshipping God, pray, affirming who he is as the one in, in control, and then we bring our prayers to him. <clears throat> From a fortnight today, the 17th of July, as it's the summer holidays and um, half half the upfront folks here will be away on ho- uh, for one reason or another. We've decided to uh, just have one service per Sunday. At, uh, that'd be a combined service at 10 o'clock. So uh, fortnight today, if you're coming in at 9 o'clock, you may find the door open, but don't guarantee, don't guarantee it. Come back at 10 o'clock and you'll have a service. The only exception to this will be Thursday... Sunday, the 7th of August, when we will still have our all-age service at the normal time of 10.45. There will, however, be a short communion, said communion, at 10 o'clock, for those of you who who want to come to that rather than uh, come to the the all-age service. That way, hopefully, we'll reduce and we'll um, stop any form form of um, confusion there, says he. Right then. Um... Next Sunday is there's a 10k race between Baston Hill and Lith Hill, which I'm sure none of you will be taking part in. Um, no, John, you're not. <laughs> don't look so surprised. I don't believe. But they, but um, joking apart, what it does mean is, um, as far as we can understand, from 10 o'clock in the morning till 10:30. Or so, 10:20 or so, Glebe Road will be closed. All right. That means that uh, those of you coming to the nine o'clock service wanting to get away quickly had better park around the corner in Clarkfields. Otherwise, you'll be forced to stay for an extra cup of coffee. Assuming we don't overrun the service. So just bear that in mind. Ten, um, 10 o'clock till 10, th- 10:20, you will not be able to get out of the car park. Um, thanks very much to all who turned up for the, um, to help with the, uh, with the um, working party yesterday. Um, it's surprising how much you can achieve with, with a small band of people. Um, we, we got through just about all everything we wanted to. We will hopefully be having another wor- working party in September, as we've still got quite a lot of uh, jungle to clear out in the car park. There we are. Finally, we need to celebrate... This couple, and in case none of you recognize them,
I want to congratulate John and Carolyn, who celebrated their golden wedding anniversary two days ago. But more than that, um, they've been a member of this church for a few years now, but they've been an enormous blessing to us, and I'm sure you would like to join me as I pray a blessing on them. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for John and Carolyn. We thank you for all that they've come to mean to us as friends, as fellow believers, as fellow soldiers in your army. We thank you, Lord, for all that they have brought to this church, both of them, ranging from sense of humor to preaching, to pastoral care, to many other ways in which they contribute to the life of their church. And so today, Lord, we want to pray a blessing on them. We thank you for 50 years of marriage. We thank you for blessing them in that. We pray your blessing them on them today, Lord. May they grow further and deeper into you and be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. So, Lord, will you please, by your Holy Spirit, come and bless them today. Amen. So let's stand. Shall we stand? And let's be just quiet for a moment as we remember the Lord's presence with us. Let's say together, Almighty God, to whom all hearts be open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. So let's continue to worship, worship our risen Lord Jesus by singing our first hymn, I Will Sing the Wondrous Story of the Christ Who Died for Me.
like to be seated. Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me, for all my sins, for all my imperfections. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. My dear children, continues St. John, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We're not going to say a formal confession, but we're just going to spend, again, a moment of quiet in the presence of our Lord. Let's spend that time concentrating on him as he stands in our midst with his nail-pierced hand outstre hands outstretched towards us. Let's give thanks to him in our hearts for all that he achieved for us on the cross. And in a further moment of, of quiet, if there is anything that's on our hearts that needs putting right, let's do that before the Lord now. Remembering that if we do sin, we have Jesus on his knees before the Father as our advocate, praying for us. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we have had something to confess, let us receive his forgiveness now, knowing that that is assured. and that the work of Jesus on the cross was a complete work. And now, Holy Spirit of God, I ask you to come and fill those areas which were sin with your, uh, with your life, that we might live to your glory. Amen. As we continue to meditate on the cross and what Jesus did for us, let's sing our next hymn, how deep the Father's love for us.
I'd like to be seated. And as Audrey comes forward for, with our reading, let's just pray for the ministry of the word and for Peter, who's going to preach to us in a moment. Lord Jesus, your word is a living word. It is living and active, cutting to the division between bone and marrow. Your word is light shining into our hearts. So we pray for Audrey that you would anoint her as, as she reads your word. And for Peter, as he preaches to us, give him your words, Lord, your insight into your word. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wondrous things in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. reading is taken from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. There's more of you here than I thought. <laughs> Great to see you. On the 2nd of December <clears throat> 1922, Prince Andrew of Greece, along with his wife, Princess Alice, and their four daughters, and their son, Prince Philip, were exiled from Greece for life. The Greek royal family were in trouble. In 1922, Prince Andrew's older brother, King Constantine I of Greece, was forced from his throne by a military uprising, 
and the entire royal family of Greece came under threat. The family was forced into exile and they uh, left on a British boat, the HMS Calypso, with the infant Philip transported in a cot fashioned from a fruit box. The captain of the Calypso apparently remarked uh, and observed at the time, and I quote, the family are rather amused by exile as they so frequently are. The family settled at St. Cloud on the outskirts of Paris in a small house that was loaned to them by Prince Andrew's wealthy sister-in-law, Princess George of Greece. He and his family were stripped of uh, Greek nationality and thereafter travelled as uh, under Danish passports. Prince Philip, Andrew's son, later, of course, uh, became married to our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, and known as the Duke of Edinburgh. But when he was asked for his address before he got married, he said he was of no fixed abode. Of course, as you all know, Prince Philip died last year at the age of 99. The Duke of Edinburgh began his life as an exile from his homeland. And yet he was the longest serving consort in British history and was the Queen's side for more than six decades of her reign. The theme of exile is a huge theme in the letter of 1 Peter. And as John said, we're going to be looking at this letter over the summer uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, 1 Peter is a, is a fascinating letter, and it's a short letter. You can read it in about 20 minutes. So do. The best thing to do is to read the whole letter in one go, and read it more than once if you can. It's, it is, uh, I think, the key letter for us as Christians in the modern-day world. In this world as, as church, how we behave in our society, where we are treated with suspicion mockery, and even sometimes with slander. So firstly, who is Peter writing to? Well, he's writing to the scattered church. So if you look right at the start of the entire letter, you'll see the first verse. Peter, <clears throat> an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to God's elect. He's writing to God's chosen. And yet God's elect are undergoing great suffering. They're undergoing intense persecution. And in fact, Peter is writing at the time of the Emperor Nero. Remember your school days, Roman history, or remember who Nero is. Nero, a nasty piece of work, one of the worst of the Roman emperors. And he was bad news. Uh, Nero hated the Christians. He hated them with a passion. Uh, he hated them so much that he blamed the Christians for the fire that swept through Rome in about AD 66 that destroyed most of the city or much of the city. And the Roman citizens were looking for a scapegoat. They were looking for people to blame for the fire that had, that had ripped through their city. And uh, they initially blamed Nero, their, their emperor. But Nero uh, put the blame on the, on the Christians. He said, no, I wasn't to blame. It's the Christians who were the, who were the ones who started it. 
And so he put the blame firmly on them. And so that is when the Christians started to be intensely persecuted for their faith. Uh, you, you know the Colosseum that's still standing in Rome. Uh, they were there and uh, put in there and fed to the lions and so on. And so the church had to scatter. The church was forced to flee. Not all of them, but a lot of them fled to different parts of the Roman Empire. And so Peter the Apostle writes to the young church this letter of encouragement, this letter of keep going in the face of intense persecution. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. So the church, the body of believers, is, is scattered throughout the known world. And this young church is in need of advice. How are we to live in this world is the question that's going through their minds. How are we to be in this world? Do we conform? Do we give in? Do we live like the rest of the people around us? Or do we stand out and risk our very lives? Do I live in this world? Or do I hold out for the next? Or can I have a leg in both at the same time? Such are the issues you face as a Christian in the first century, and such are the issues you face in our century. Now, if you were reading or if you read any of the commentaries about Prince Philip when he died last year, you'll know that one of the things that was written about him was that he tried to modernize the British royal family. He tried to modernize the monarchy. He tried to help the monarchy to change, to adapt to uh, the changing world that it was in. Whether he succeeded or not is a moot point, of course. But no one doubts that the last 70 years of the Queen's reign has seen huge change in culture and society of our country. Now, I'm going to try and not be ageist here, but... The truth is a lot of you have seen huge change in your lifetimes. I turned 50 in March. And I've seen huge change in society and culture in my lifetime, but some of you are much older than me. And maybe for you, going to church in your lifetime was normal. But now it's not. Far from it. The truth is, if you uh, look at the census results for uh, UK church going at the moment, I mean, there's lots of variations on this, but about it's about 1.2% of the whole population that is attending a church on a Sunday. 1.2%. That's a shocking statistic, isn't it? As I say, maybe for you in your lifetime, church going was normal. But it is far from normal for your children, grandchildren, maybe even great-grandchildren. So culturally, we're moving back to 
even if we may be there, and I think we are, back to how it was for Christians in the first century AD. So ponder again that first verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered. If you want to know what this letter is about, that is it in summary. That is what the letter is about in summation. To God's elect, exiles scattered. That sums the letter up. And one of the things is that we need to understand is that these aren't people, these aren't exiles because they've done anything wrong. Of course, the Romans think they've done things wrong, but they aren't, they're not actually lawbreakers. They haven't done anything wrong. But he's writing to people who have been scattered because of persecution. And so Peter wants them to know who they are. He wants them to know that they are dearly loved by God as his chosen people. And he wants them to know that in the situation they're in of exile, that they are loved by God and they have a purpose. And the references to that are are over and over again in the letter to that theme. For example, in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, amazing words. We'll look at these later in the series. Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Or verse 11 of the same chapter, just a a couple of verses after, uh, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Do you hear the voice voice of Peter who is ringing down the ages, speaking uh, to them and to us, and he's saying, don't give in and live like the rest of society around you. Peter's addressing this key question of how we relate to our culture, how we relate to society that we are in. And he's saying that we need to know who we are if we're going to live out our faith authentically in our, in our culture. How do you live in this world as a Christian is the key question I think Peter is raising in their minds. How do you live in this world as a Christian? And I think, broadly speaking, there are three different approaches to that question. The first approach is simply to say, well, this world is your world. It's to say, well, I'm quite happy and can see no problem with the way my faith interacts with culture. That faith and culture can coexist quite nicely. Thank you. And it's the kind of mindset that goes along the lines of, well, uh, my faith is personal to me, and I know what I believe, and how, how I want to live, and I'm very happy for others to do the same. Now, if you think that through, the, the thing about that is that at, at some point or other, that kind of approach uh, leads to living a lie. 
Because sooner or later, faith and culture will collide. And you've got to decide which side you're on. So that's one approach, is to, is to say, well, this world is your world. No, my faith is my faith, etc. The second approach is to say, well, you might call it dual citizenship. It's the approach that says, well, look, I can be a citizen of heaven and also I can be a citizen of this world. And so that's the, the approach of having a leg in both camps, if you like. Uh, uh, you're living as a citizen of heaven and you're living as a citizen of this world. Now, the first approach, as I said, leads eventually to living a lie because faith and culture will collide. The next, this next one lead, will lead you to living intention. Sooner or later, something will have to give because of that tension that there is in that living in that sort of way and living on with both with a leg in both camps. And that tension will become unbearable. And where does that feeling of tension come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides, when you're, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And so God is uncomfortable with inconsistencies. God is with us all the time. He is, his Holy Spirit resides in us. So God is with us all the time. And, and when he is uncomfortable, we are uncomfortable. His discomfort and his disquiet is a reminder that we belong to him, that you belong to him, not to this world. So that's the second one, dual citizenship. According to Peter, the apostle, there is a third approach. And that is to live as legal aliens, you might want to call it, legal aliens. The word alien, I know you think of a sort of, you know, the sort of spaceship and Mars and all that sort of thing, but the word alien quite literally means to live alongside. That's the, what the word means, to live alongside. It means you are a visitor to this world, a stranger. It, may, it means you don't actually feel comfortable being here because you know that you belong somewhere else. And that is a very biblical idea. And note I said legal alien. You, you have the right to reside in this world, but with the key difference that our citizenship is found in another world, which is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus is, of course, the chosen one. He is the one who is anointed by God. He is the precious one of God, and yet rejected by his own people. And we too are God's chosen people. We too are loved by God. We were chosen, Peter says, before the creation of the world, so that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yes, we are sanctified, we are made holy by the Spirit, and yet often we can feel rejected and experience that persecution for our faith. Now, for centuries, the church in this country has been at the centre of national life. The parish system in itself is an indication, 
that the Church of England, for many, many, many years, was at the centre of national life. And it's an indication that once upon a time, many people went to church. Once upon a time, to get into Oxford and Cambridge, you had to be a confirmed member of the Church of England. Once upon a time, to gain entry into the professions, you had to be a Christian and attend the Church of England. Was that a good thing? Mm. That's a very big topic. That's a great topic to discuss in your home group and think about and reflect on. And And I'm guessing in this room, there would be a huge range of opinions on that question. But whatever we think, whatever we make of that question, that is not the case now, and it hasn't been for quite a long time, certainly not in my lifetime. And the hard truth is, is that the church in the West has been going through culture shock for at least 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, as we gradually realise we're not at the centre of things as the church. And yet Jesus, our Saviour, Came to, re- came to be rejected by the world, and so we as God's children have to face that sometime is our experience as well. And so the church needs to be reminded again and again, we are God's chosen people, we are, and yet we're exiles, and we're scattered. And all of that is before we get to COVID, and the experience of COVID that we've been through of lockdown, the church in lockdown. And what do we learn as a church in lockdown and being scattered? Well, we learn many things. We learned that we are adaptable. We learned that we can do church differently. We learned, well, I've got the camera in front of me. I mean, look at it. That's, <laughs> this is the church in, in lockdown. We can do church online. We can do Zoom home groups. Who would have thought of that? And so for a few months, we experienced a little bit of what it's like for these early Christians of being the church scattered. And yes, so great things that came out of that, that experience. Um, I, I keep remembering the, the all-age services out there, outside, and, and the way that uh, the church adapted to that, and, uh, and we were able to, to, to worship God outside, and had people watching us as they walked along the road, and the families who joined us, amazing things. As I was preparing for this talk, there was an article I read <coughs> and, uh, about the church in lockdown. I want to read it to you. It's just a short bit. Um, and the author's an Anglican vicar. And uh, he pulls no punches. And I'm going to quote what he says. Maybe the bishops should have shut us down for longer at the start of COVID. Why do I say that? Because we shape our tools, and then our tools shape us. Any church that doesn't have a life without its building or its Sunday gathering has been so shaped by them that it has ceased to be a church. Instead of hanging on until we could reopen, maybe 12 months of being church without the church would have done us some good if we'd allowed it to shape us. For many of our folk, it was a break. Suddenly, the small army of people involved on a sunny morning could forget the rotor, roll out of bed, make a coffee, and switch on YouTube. 
Sure, it's great to involve people, but we pour so many resources into worship and the building and the professional cast that make it happen that there's precious little energy, time, and money left for anything else. End of quote. I'll set it out on an email and you can discuss it again in your home group. But there's lots of challenging things in there, aren't there? But I think there's also a lot of truth. Maybe as a church we need to reflect more and more deeply and more honestly about how and why we put so much of our energy into keeping certain things going. What are the lessons God wants us to learn from COVID? How is God wanting us to shape our tools? What are the opportunities and the relationships that have been built outside of gathered church that he's wanting us to invest in? Lots of questions. Now again, as I was preparing for this talk, I I felt God say something to me quite strongly that I feel is right to share with you this morning. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I won't be preaching this sermon to the next congregation to the 1045 because it's the all age and so I won't be preaching a sermon to that to that group but I feel God is saying to me that as older Christians as more experienced Christians that you and I need to get alongside younger Christians to help them to live out their faith in this world I felt God was saying that we need to get alongside them we need to get to know them to get to know what they're going through and to try to understand their culture and then to share your wisdom of years. Now, a more personal example of this comes from a conversation I had just a couple of weeks ago. I was part of a conversation um, along the lines of this. Audrey's given me permission to to share this with you, by the way. Um, Thank you, Audrey. Uh, But a couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I, uh, if you remember, Mike and Rachel Hill came to preach uh, here couple of weeks ago and Audrey very kindly offered lunch to Debbie and I into the hills and so we sat around the Sunday lunch table and we were talking about all sorts of things uh, and we and we got onto this topic of how we can sensitively and graciously engage with uh, with as Christians with those who maybe are younger than us about issues of lifestyle uh, and culture and choice and so on in this in the world we're living in and as part of that discussion Audrey share with us some ways that she has recently engaged in conversation with her grandsons about their lives. And I was so impressed and so encouraged by the way that Audrey was able to hear what they were saying. She, oh no, I don't want to put words in Audrey's mouth, but she may not have necessarily agreed with their lifestyle choices, but she did, with grace, she, she did that with grace and understanding. And the great thing, one of the great things about the way Audrey did that, I think, was to leave the door open for her grandsons to come back and want to keep having that conversation with her more. And I'm sure Audrey's love and faith in Jesus will keep on shining through. So don't be afraid. Find someone who is significantly younger than you that you could perhaps mentor that you can get alongside, that you can share your wisdom as a Christian for many years and, of course, learn from them as well. It's a two-way process, isn't it? Of course, it's a two-way process of them hearing about your life and your faith, how you live out your faith, 
and, of course, hearing how they are living out their faith too. But don't do it in a forced way, and it may not be the right thing for you. And, of course, some of you, I think, are already doing it. I'm sure you are. But if God is stirring your heart on this, ask him to show you who may be the right person uh, to get alongside. But let's go back to where we started as I come into land, as it were, to Prince Philip. One writer on the exile of of the Greek royal family in 1922 said this, Prince Philip's family left Greece impoverished, but they left Greece with the one thing that all aristocrats have, which is connections. Interesting, isn't it? They left Greece with nothing, but they had connections with rich people who looked after them. That's how they managed to have this house in Paris. It was loaned to them by Prince Andrew's sister. And later on, Prince Philip, uh, being related to uh, Lord Louis Mountbatten, that's how he became established in this country. Yes, they were exiles, but they had connections. And the wonderful truth is that as Christians, we have connections, but we have connections with God. Peter the Apostle tells us we have been chosen by the Father. We have been sanctified by the Spirit. And we've been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus. Wow, that's amazing. And that's why Peter says we have grace and peace in abundance. Now, I realize we've not looked at the rest of the passage. It's an amazing passage, verses 3 to 9. Originally, I was going to preach on that passage, but God spoke to me in the week, so I, I, I've spoken, spoken more on verse 1. But there's some amazing promises in, that, in those verses uh, that, that we do well to reflect on and dwell on and let God speak to us through. So as I finish, what I'm going to do is simply read them or list them. Uh, These promises you'll find in those verses 3 to 9. I'm going to read them slowly and, 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 and let God speak to you of the blessings he wants to pour out on us as we live for him in this world. You may want to close your eyes, it's entirely up to you, but just in a, in a prayerful attitude, just, just receive these blessings that God wants to pour out on us as his chosen, his exiled and scattered precious people of God. In Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. In Jesus, we have an inheritance that can never fade. We have an inheritance which is kept safe in heaven for us. We are sheltered. We are shielded by God's power. Our faith which is tested in the fire is of greater worth than gold. Because of Jesus, we have an inexpressible and glorious joy. For we are receiving the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls.
thank you, God, for these wonderful blessings you pour out upon us. We give praise to your holy and precious name. Thank you, Peter. Cheryl and I were at Sarah's church in Aberystwyth, the Elim Pentecostal church there, and it was very interesting that the subject of this whole sermon there was mentoring, or discipling, as he put, as he put it, and going from the Great Commission, part of the Great Commission, it's interesting to hear the same, same thought again. I think God is saying something to us. Another thing I took away from that service was a line from a, a song I'd never come across before, which has stuck with me all week. It is uh, just simply this. I am who you say I am. So for that, all I'm going to do is, as a response, I'm going to reread what Peter has just said, so let it, to give us a little bit more time to meditate on that before we turn to intercession and communing. Jesus has given us a living hope. He's given us an inheritance that can never fade, which is kept safe in heaven for us. He shelters us and he shields us by God's power. He says our faith is of more value than pure gold. By his spirit he fills us with an inexpressible joy. And he says to us we are saved. We are forgiven. We are filled with his spirit. We are filled to all the measure of Christ himself. And that's God's royal priesthood. Let's very briefly turn to the needs of the world, of our church. Let's pray first of all for our church leaders, both here in Baston Hill, both this church, the Methodist church, storehouse, all the churches in Shrewsbury, let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our national church, the leaders there, our archbishops. And again, I want to give thanks, Lord, for that tremendous gospel sermon that the Archbishop of York preached at the, uh, at the Jubilee service in St. Paul's. We pray our blessing on them and all our leaders as they adjust, as we adjust to the culture shock of not being the center of this nation's life anymore, of being on the periphery, but yet being God's chosen people, God's royal priesthood, and so on. Let's pray for wisdom for our leaders. Let's pray for an anointing of the Holy Spirit on them and the that he may open all of our eyes to see the truth of who we are in Jesus. And may all of us know that joy it comes from knowing who we are and that we are who Jesus says we are.
Let's pray for our government. At this time where integrity seems to be questioned left, right and centre. Let us again pray for the conviction of, our, of the Holy Spirit in the lives of our leaders. Looking again overseas, we pray for all those areas where there is strife, where evil seems to reign. We pray for the Ukraine, we pay, pray for Yemen, we pray for the Horn of Africa. We pray for the areas of South America under the, under the rule of drug barons. We pray for slum areas of major cities under the control of organized crime. And we pray for our uh, that the Lord would guide our response as God's scattered but yet chosen people to all these issues. But most of all, we proclaim the Lord Jesus, who when he came into a world of suffering, shared in that suffering, and died the most shameful death possible. And yet who lives in us and reigns in this world despite all that we see. Finally, let's pray for all those known to us who are sick or in any sort of need. Let us bring them before the Lord now. Lord, in your mercy, accept these prayers for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. As we'll be looking at in a couple of uh, weeks' time, Peter's already reminded us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. As that, and as God's redeemed people, we share in his peace. So in a moment, we're going to share the peace with each other. Feel free share however you want, but please be sensitive to those who may not want to get too close because COVID's on the uprise again. So let's stand. And may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you. Let's share the peace very briefly with each other. So as Peter comes to celebrate communion now, we're going to sing again, Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, as we focus now on Jesus and again what he did for us on the cross. Thank you, Sue.
We're going to use Eucharistic prayer D. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Almighty God, good Father to us all, your face is turned towards your world. In love you gave us Jesus, your Son, to rescue us from sin and death. Your word goes out to call us home to the city where angels sing your praise. We join with them in heaven's song. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Father of all, we give you thanks for every gift that comes from heaven. To the darkness, Jesus came as your light. With signs of faith and words of hope, he touched untouchables with love and washed the guilty clean. This is his story. This is our song. Hosanna in the highest. The crowds came out to see your son. Yet at the end, they turned on him. On the night he was betrayed, he came to table with his friends to celebrate the freedom of your people. This is his story. This is our song. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, bless you, Father, for the food. He took bread, gave you thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Jesus then gave thanks for the wine. He took the cup, gave it, and said, This is my blood shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is his story. This is our song. Hosanna in the highest. Therefore, Father, with this bread and this cup, we celebrate the cross on which he died to set us free. Defying death, he rose again and is alive with you to plead for us and for all the world. This is our story. This, this is our song. Hosanna in the highest. Send your spirit on us now, that by these gifts we may feed on Christ with open eyes and hearts on fire. May we and all who share this food offer ourselves to live for you and be welcomed at your feast in heaven where all creation worships you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Blessing and honour and glory and power be yours forever and ever. Amen. As our Saviour has taught us, so we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. Draw near with faith. 
receive the body of our Lord Jesus Christ which he gave for you and his blood which he shed for you eat and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving most merciful Lord your love compels us to come in our hands were unclean our hearts were unprepared we were not fit even to eat the crumbs from under your table but you Lord are the God of our salvation and share your bread with sinners so cleanse and feed us with the precious body and blood of your son that he may live in us and we in him and that we with the whole company of Christ may sit and eat in your kingdom
body of Christ keep you in eternal life. blood of Christ shed for you. Amen. And so let's pray together this prayer following communion. Almighty God, we thank you for feeding us with the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him we offer you our souls and bodies to be a living sacrifice. Send us out in the power of your spirit to live and work to your praise and glory. Amen. And let's just pray for those who can't be with us today. Father, we lift to you those who are housebound, uh, those who are maybe in nursing homes or the hospital or at home. We pray your blessing, your hand to be upon them in whatever the situation they're in. We thank you for those who are caring for them. Thank you for those who are looking out for them. And we pray that they would know your love and your touch right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We may be God's church living in exile in this world. We may be God's church feeling scattered but we are chosen. And we've been given the most amazing secret, Christ in us, the hope of glory. He that is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Do we stand and sing our final song? finish we're going to bless each other with a couple of with a few words from the reading um, I haven't warned in about this so they're not going to appear on the screen but they're simply this grace and peace be yours in abundance we did this at the end of the um, 
the Tuesday prayer meeting, and I'd like to do it. Uh, I'd like to do it again. So we're going to say it to each other: "Grace and peace be yours in abundance." Okay. So we say to each other: "Grace and peace be yours in abundance." Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. Amen.